By day, Eric Selly is a vice principal at a school in Beijing. By night, he's a stand-up comic. He came by recently to talk about his comedy, being a 14A comic, and his love for Norm Macdonald. Then I talked to Edson Oya. Edson's also a stand-up comic. He's from Mexico, and he talked to me about crossing the Mexico-U.S. border and how comedy in China is a little different. It's a windy day yeah. in Beijing. Freezing, yeah. And I'm here with Eric Sally. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, okay, so winter here. Yeah. You're from Kitchener. Yeah, Canada. Yeah. yeah, so what is the difference between the winter here and the winter in Kitchener? I always find it colder here for some reason. And I don't know if it's like the way that they make the buildings. I just find that I can like never get warm in Beijing yeah. for whatever reason, you know. But people assume that when you're from Canada that you, you know, cold is nothing to you, right? Like they like treat it like you're from the north in Game of Thrones or something where it's like you're just unaffected by it. But uh, Kitchener, we had a lot more snow uh, be, being pretty close to the Great Lakes and all. So it's uh, a little bit more snowy, but I think people just prepare for winter a little bit more in Canada. It seems to sneak up here. Everybody told me when I came to China it would be easy to meet a girl. You know, if you're a foreigner, you can meet a girl, no problem. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. It's never been that easy for me. But uh, I came here, and I remember I was on these apps, and the first girl ever messaged me, she messaged me first. It was Bumble, but uh, it's not important. Uh, it's a dating app joke. But anyways, it was in Chinese. She messaged me in Chinese, and in Chinese she said, Guga Shu Yao Fu Ma. That one's for the Chinese people. Uh, Listen, I didn't know what it was either, so I translated it to English, and in English what it translated to was, Big Brother needs service, question mark. And I was like, that's a weird thing to say. Not even, not even a hello, this girl's already asked me to help her brother out? That's very... Talk about a high-maintenance chick, good lord. How about dinner and a movie first, before you ask me to help your brother move apartments, you know, or drive him to the airport? That joke uh, it was sort of, uh, it was inspired, I don't know if it was from a dating app, but it was some sort of maybe WeChat or something where I literally, somebody added me and uh, it was just some random girl out of the blue and she, in Chinese, wrote, you know, basically, and, you know, my Chinese isn't great and, you know, I couldn't read it, so I actually just asked my friend, I was like, because I translated it on the WeChat app and I was like, it was like, Big Brother needs service. But there's no, you know, it was just like, and I was like... I was like, I didn't get it. I was pretty new to China at the time, so I was like, big brother. I was like, who's your brother? I don't know. Who are you? You know? And then I showed my friend, and he's like, oh, she's a prostitute. You know, like, you know, big brother, you know, you're a big brother in, in Chinese, sort of like speak, and she's asking if you want service. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, didn't see that. And it's funny to listen to that bit now, because I did that set, I think, in 2018, and I still do that bit, but I, I've changed a lot of it. So there's different. It's funny to hear sort of a, an old sort of, I guess, rough cut uh, of it. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, so how have you changed it? Actually, now I, uh, I throw in this cheap joke at the beginning where I say, I was on that Chinese dating app. What's it called? And I kind of wait for them to say Tantan. And then I go, oh, Taobao, that's it. And then uh, <laughs> it's sort of a little misdirect. And uh, yeah, so that's usually just like how I, how I hook them in. Yeah. 
And then the punchline, uh, which is very specific, but it, it gets a laugh by from like four or five random dudes in the crowd every time. I, it's basically, I say, I feel like the only time you should be able to say brother in the bedroom is if you're having sex with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> And that's, I mean, like, like, you know, most people, 75% of people don't get it, but there's always, there would be a couple of people that crack up really hard, like some yeah. world wrestling fans yeah. that are like, I appreciate that. <laughs> and so it's mostly just for them and myself, but yeah, that, uh, that, that tagline is sort of how I end it now. I don't know how I ended it in the past, but. As you've been sort of changing as a comic or uh, working as a comic here, not, yeah. not changing as a comic, but sort of like evolving, I guess yeah, yeah. is a better word to use. Have you noticed the audience here evolving as well? Yeah, stand-up has definitely become a lot more popular, uh, just overall, um, you know, since I started. I started in 2017, and it was, you know, it was a thing of, like, just kind of bar shows, and, you know, it still sort of does, you know, fall into that category, but, um, yeah, Chinese stand-up has really blown up, I think, um, because they have, like, actual, like, reality TV shows now of, like, you know, Chinese stand-up and, and things like that. It's almost become, like... You know, they're crazy about, like, the voice and things like that. It's kind of like that new that new uh, niche market that they've kind of just cracked open. So, yeah, comedy, the audience is, you'll get a lot more, I think there's a lot more Chinese people that go to shows now. And uh, in the past, it would be mostly, I think, foreigners, but you'd get every once in a while a few Chinese people. But, yeah, the crowds now seem like 50-50 of, of people who are who are Chinese and, you know, and uh, and then you still get your expats and, and things like that. But, yeah, it's been cool seeing it kind of, you know, we we put on shows and sometimes I'm amazed that how fast the tickets go. And it's like, you know, they're not paying to see anybody that they recognize or know. It's just like, oh, we just want to see comedy. So, yeah, that's been, it's been pretty cool seeing that and uh, and also develop or like, you know, comedy clubs open up around China too, you know. I, uh, I've performed in like Wuhan and, and Xiamen and, and things like that in these, these cities that I was you know, would have never thought they have, you know, enough people there that are into comedy to even really start a club. But uh, they're, they're popping up sort of everywhere, which is, which is awesome. This is great to be here in Mongolia. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. I, uh, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to traveling around places. I, uh, I didn't know much about Mongolia, so I did a bit of reading. Uh, Ulaanbaatar in English translates to Red Hero. Is that correct? Am I right? Yeah. I think it's so dope you guys named a city after Spider-Man. That's very cool, <laughs> because he deserves it at this point, you know? You, you, co you called yourself a 14A comic. So for people who... Sure, yes. So for people who aren't familiar with the Canadian movie ratings right. board like yes. what, what does that mean uh 14a I would say like I, I do I try not to use like overtly like cuss words um if I don't have to um it's just sort of like a, a thing of like it, it sometimes cheapens the product if you just swear too much kind of thing I mean obviously the material or the content will be like that one you know about talking to a prostitute you know this the, the material is not PG uh, like ne necessarily the nature of it but uh, again it's not like I'm up there you know being as dirty as I possibly can be and things like that so I would say 14a is like you know if you're like 15 16 years old and your parents give you permission, I think you're probably okay to, to watch my comedy. You know, you're not going to see, you know, nudity or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, thank so, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, 
So no, no rated R stuff for me. Yeah. So I mean, what I what I heard you, and I've heard, and I've heard you describe yourself this way as well. Like, I mean, I, I definitely hear Seinfeld, and I hear yeah. Norm Macdonald. I mean, Norm Macdonald. There's just nobody like him. Where it's like, it's almost like the the joke itself. He's he's perfected it in a way that. Only he can tell it with his voice and things like that. And I used to, I would just go on YouTube for hours and just watch his old Letterman's or his old Conan appearances. Because he would sit there and he'd have these great anecdote, like they're called shaggy dog stories where it's like everything that leads up to the punchline, you know, then when the punchline comes, it's sort of like not that great. It's, you know, it's it's the buildup of the story, like that moth joke that he has. And uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, for him or my you know, obsession with his comedy has always just been his uniqueness and, uh, and the fact that he's just like, so, you know, he's just very joke oriented, you know, it's, he doesn't, he's not trying to make a political statement. He's not trying to, you know, do social commentary necessarily. He's just kind of, it's all jokes for him. And, and, and Seinfeld too. I, I mean, I grew up just watching the show, which everybody, you know, did. And, uh, I always just found that sort of like observational, you know, humor very funny. I, I'm, I'm more into, you know, and I do appreciate when people can do it in a way where they're making uh, political or social statements and things like that. But I feel like when that gets in the way of the comedy, it kind of it makes the comedy not as fun for me. It's, you know, sort of turns into like a TED talk at some point. Uh, I, I was in a bar in Beijing recently. It just opened up again after like the second outbreak, and I was talking to this girl. We were talking back and forth for a long time. It was going very well, so I leaned in to kiss her, but she pulled back and she's like, "Oh, sorry, I don't date English teachers." <laughs> like, oh, that hurts a lot. So that's a big assumption to make too, you know? Like, who said anything about dating, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like your vocabulary could use some work, to be honest. With you. <laughs> And in terms of politics, though, as well, I mean, here it's kind of a positive that you're not really getting yeah. political. Yeah. yeah, it's actually, yeah, I actually like it. Yeah, where it's like, you know, it's not an option, you know, don't do it. Yeah, you know, it's it's not worth it. So just, just stay clear, you know, and it forces you to write jokes about other stuff, you know, write about your life, you know, tell us something interesting. You know, if I want to hear about, you know, someone's take on, you know, world affairs and things like that. I'll go listen to NPR. Or I'll listen to like the New York Times or something like that. I don't need to hear it from some comedian. But like after after has this ever happened? Like after after a set, has anyone ever come up to you and been like, Eric, that's that was a, that was a little bit much. Like you uh, need to... maybe I think maybe in my earlier days, um, if a show was going bad, I didn't really know how to sort of get out of it, and so maybe I would. That's when I would double down and just try to be offensive or like you know make fun of an audience member in a way that wasn't really funny. It was more of an attack. And and this you know this is probably when I was six months or less in, you know, and I, I remember having a really bad set one time at like patio Shays and just sort of yelling at somebody who was there to watch a soccer game. They weren't there for comedy. It wasn't their fault. Comedy was on and you know, they're, they're into the soccer game and uh, you know, I'm yelling at them for making noise and they're kind of yelling at me. And I just like, just remember leaving that set and being like, that was, what am I doing? That's so pointless. You know, like it's not their fault. You know, they didn't come for comedy. Like they're, and that's the problem with a lot of bar shows. It's like you, you kind of surprise people. People are having dinner and then all of a sudden 9 o'clock hits and they're like, yeah, we'll be starting an open mic here in about uh, two minutes. So uh, hopefully you guys like comedy. And sometimes people, they don't want it. They want to talk and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, it's nobody's fault.
You know, I can't. I can't imagine Chinese audiences like heckling no, ever. Never. Almost never. Yeah. But I can totally imagine like drunk foreigners doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly, I think like actual paid shows, it doesn't happen as much. Um, but yeah, the only times I think I've ever been heckled, it's by a foreigner in yeah. in, in Beijing. Um, sometimes what you get was just kind of funny in a, in a different way with Chinese Chinese audiences is like if you're doing like a crowd work thing and you kind of ask a rhetorical question, they'll they're like they want to have the conversation. So it's like you're going back and forth. I remember doing a joke about a teacher and there was some like recruiter in the audience, like this Chinese uh, lady who was like a recruiter for some, you know, training school or something. And she started asking me about like my teaching qualifications from the audience. And I'm like, you got to understand, this is not interesting for the other 20 people that are sitting around us right now. Just me and you talking about my resume. <laughs> like, <laughs> this can't, can't be fun for anybody else. Always so, hustling though. I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was, really good. She, but they, she was taking it also serious. And I was like, okay, well, we'll talk after. But yeah, yeah. that's really funny. Uh, so, I mean, you've, you've talked in the past about how they're just, in Beijing, anyway, yeah. there's just not that many comics, but right. there's a lot of people who like want comedy. love comedy. Yeah. So, just as a comic, though, how do you get better as a comic when you're not around that many comics? Yeah, um, I think you, you gotta take advantage of like the open mics and the opportunities that are given to you. Um, I mean, we we we've had three open mics at a time a week, um, and we've kind of cut down to two now, just because you end up splitting. Some people. You know, the, you get different degrees of comedians, too, of like, hey, I like to do it once a month as like a hobby. And then there's people who are like, hey, I love doing this every week. I want to do as many as I can and get better. And then you get people that'll come in and out, you know, month to month, basically. If they're feeling it, they'll come. If they're not, you know, you'll never see them for, for you know, months on end. But, uh, yeah, taking advantage of the open mics and just constantly writing, you know, and just trying to, you know, for me, I had to, I did take a little step back because I was... I was doing all the mics, but I was just doing material that I had done and, you know, had worked on and, uh, and I wasn't really changing that much about it. So I was, uh, I was kind of just being like, this is, you know, kind of a pointless exercise for me. I'm just kind of going for the sake of going. And I had to like kind of take a couple weeks off and then really try to make myself write some new stuff. And, uh, I think that that helps, you know, with improvement a lot is just, you know, if you're, if you're willing to put yourself out there and, and try new jokes and even if they don't work, it's, you know, it's uh they always say and it's totally 100 percent accurate but like the the best feeling in the world as a comedian is when you have a new joke and a new joke works for the first time it's this magical like whoa you know like what i thought was funny and they agreed you know it's like and and then you chase sort of that first laugh retelling it every time so so as a, as a comic in beijing mm -hmm. right um as a, as a western comic in sure. beijing what is the pinnacle of what you can do here? Right. Of yeah. where you can what, what you can reach well, here? There's certainly there's certainly like a ceiling on on the level of success you can obtain. Um, I, I'd say like the good the best part about it uh, about being a comic in in Asia in general, a Western comic in Asia, is the fact that you do have a lot of opportunities to perform to like good crowds a lot of the time. And uh, just my experience, I've lived in Australia. I lived in uh, in well, I, you know, I'd go to Toronto and do mics all the time and. Just seeing some of these people that have been doing it for years and like, you know, not performing to anybody but other comedians and things like that. It's just, it must be just so draining, honestly. And uh, when, when you're in Asia, you get a chance to go to these different cities and, you know, there's always, you know, there's always an audience. So you do have, and like I said, there's not that many comedians. So, this you know, it's the opposite where it's like 
hey, we need you to do 20 minutes on this show where you could be in Toronto for five years doing comedy and, you know, never get that chance or never get that opportunity. So I think just the pinnacle would be being somebody who's able to travel around, go to different cities, headline shows in different cities, you know, make, you know, have your trains or planes paid for and, you know, call it a good weekend. Like, are there any like TV opportunities or anything like that here? Like You'd have to speak Chinese, yeah. You'd have to be Chinese, and, uh, yeah. yeah, you'd have to, it'd be Chinese comedy and you'd have to have your, like, your act basically would have to be pre-approved by the Culture Bureau and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it, that's, for, for in terms of exposure and things like that, yeah, you, you'd have to be doing Chinese comedy yeah. and it would have to be, yeah, pretty, pretty squeaky clean, I think. All right, I'm here with Edson. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Is it alright if I play a clip from one of your shows? Sure. People ask me like, 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 yo, Edson, why did you go to China? You know what I'm saying? I was like, yo, man, I already went over the American Wall. I wanted to go over the Chinese Wall too. <laughs> I was saying. I would have gone to Germany as well, but those fuckers tore it down. They knew how to keep the Mexicans out. Fuck those guys. Fucking German racist assholes. They didn't want no fucking Mexicans in their country. That's why they tore the wall down. That's like a magnet for Mexicans. Like, oh, you got a wall? What's over, what's over there? What's over there? What's over there? There must be something fucking good if you got a wall. You got a wall. I want to see what's on the other side. I wanna see what's on the other side, puto. What you got over there? What you holding? What you holding? What you holding? Walls have always been made to either keep things in or keep things out. So when anybody starts speaking about a wall, like my personal experience with the American wall was like butter. I just go right through it because, dude, like this is my turf. You can try to put a wall up between us, but it's not gonna do shit. I can either go in the country legally and do my paperwork and wait my turn, or I can just go tomorrow and call this guy and cross like this, because that's our fucking land. And your border doesn't mean shit to me, and your government doesn't either. Like, I can give two shits about what you think is right, because I know that you don't belong here. So wait, you you, you cross the border? like? I'll just say illegally, just like, yeah, just for, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, as a child, I crossed the border illegally. So, like, my mom had a visa and she had, like, her, her paperwork all in line, but she didn't have it for me. And I was a child at that time because of whatever policy was, was going on. I don't know. For her, it was easier to just tell her friend, who was an American citizen, also Mexican, but an American citizen because she's born on that side. And she's got, like, a gang of kids, you know, like eight of them. And, like, one of those kids are my age. And she's like, yo, we're going to cross this border with the car full of a gang of kids and from the seven, eight kids that are in here, one of them's you. Just say, if anything they ask you, your name is this and this is your birthday. That's all you got to remember. That sounds stressful. No. It was just like, yo, if, if, if someone asks you what your name is, you're going to pretend you're him. But he's not here. But just pretend. Just say you're, you're him. As if they ask you, but don't worry about it. And I'm like, okay. And I didn't worry about it. We just crossed the border and like no questions were asked. And, you know, I got straight through. And then I met my mom on the other side because, you know, she used her paperwork and her visa and all her stuff to get through. But she didn't apply it for me. So like I went off the radar, but she went on the radar. 
And that was an advantage for me because in California, um, public education is free for anyone. But if I'm to do this paperwork, they're going to be like, hey, buddy, you've reached the limit of your uh, of your paperwork. It says it's good for a year or two or three, but not more. So you got to go now. But since I went without it, I don't have a limit until I'm 18, until I'm an adult. I don't have to worry about any of those things that are, you know, things that adults worry about. Love Trump, man. I love that motherfucker because, man, if he if he would have stayed for another four years, I'm saying that now because I think he's gonna lose. But if he would have stayed another four years, he would have tanked America's economy so much that the gringos would be going to Mexico to look for jobs. And that's what I was waiting for. You know what I'm saying? I want to pull up in my taco truck and see all the gringos without a job. Like, yo, 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 which one of you putos speak Spanish? Yeah, I need someone to make tacos. Yeah, I need one of you putos. Let's see. Hey, you, you, you. David, can you say carnitas? Can you say carnitas? Pronounce it right, carnitas. Nah, nah, nah. The job goes to Juan. You can't say it. Fuck you. Fucking Mexican job, stay in Mexico. Go back to your country, motherfucker. Back to your fucking country. So, I saw you a couple of weeks ago, um, and... You were hilarious. Like, I thought the audience was basically eating out of your hand. Was that something that you, you knew was going well when you, were, when you were up there? Well, when you perform, when you do stand-up, one of the things that is something you have to work on the most is your crowd control. Because you can easily lose a crowd and you can easily get a crowd to just eat out of the palm of your hand. But for me, like, after doing it, it's been three years now that I've been doing stand-up. For me, it's more like, okay, I'm pretty tuned in to, to knowing how I got to get in the direction with an audience. And like, yeah, I, I knew they were digging it because like, I don't have to look at their faces. All I have to do is listen. Like the amount of people that I hear laughing, it's like, okay, I know this is going good. Not everybody's going to laugh at everything all the time. Understandable. I'm not going for 100%. I just want to feel the room. Can you be my guide? Like, because who are the comics here in, in Beijing and in China? Currently, like some of the comics here, besides myself, you know, you got you got David, which is like he's the reason I started to do comedy. And then you got Eric and you have Nick. And like these are the guys that have been doing it the longest because they just like to do it. You know what I mean? They just they enjoy it. It's our hobby. We do it on the side of like whatever else we have to do. Some people have jobs. Some people study. Some people are just in a relationship and they sit their ass at home all day because they married a rich girl. Whatever. But... Everybody has like something they're doing with their life. And then this is just like a little plus like, oh, I'm going to go in and, and perform and do comedy for, for, for shits and giggles. And then you got a dude like Joe Wong, who's already like a very established comedian in the States, has been on Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel and that, you know, did the White House Correspondents Dinner and got to roast Joe Biden and Obama. And like that guy's around and like we get to fuck with him. We get to say, yo, what's up, Joe? How you doing? And then like. When you got someone like Joe that actually has, you know, gone from the States back to China, back and forth, and been successful both in English and in Chinese, like, yo, that's the kind of guy you want to vouch for you. Like, if this guy says I'm good, then I have something going. And that's where I currently stand right now. Like, that dude, he vouches for me because he's seen me do comedy and he knows what I looked like when I started and he knows what I sound like now. And he's like, Edson, you're doing really well. 
if you can uh, continue to improve like that, I can see you going to places, man. He's like, I can, I can vouch for you that you'll do it. And here's one even better. If you can figure out how to do it in Chinese and keep it rated G, you can even be bigger. And that's my current project now. Like my next stepping stone, like, okay, the English stuff, Chinese humor and Western humor is very different. Western humor, it's all about, you got to make fun of yourself. I'm an idiot. I'm a dumbass. I got fucked. You know, and people like that because secretly they relate to it. Like, oh shit, I feel like that too. I feel like a dumbass. I felt stupid when that happened to me. And they can laugh at it because they relate to it. But in China, you can't say stuff like that. You can't say like, oh, I'm so fucking stupid. You know, like, I don't know this. I don't know that. Because it's like, they don't have the culture to make fun of themselves. Nonetheless, make fun of others. In America and Mexico, it's very common to just make fun of others. And it's part of our culture. It's okay. It's acceptable. Obviously, there are lines. There are boundaries. That there's so many things that you can say and you cannot say. Because these are words to laugh at. And these are words to fight with. These are fighting words. And these are not. So... China doesn't even have to worry about that because their jokes don't go into that in, in, into that direction. Their jokes are more like storytelling. It's all about storytelling and like innocent, funny stuff happened. Like that's okay. That's good comedy. You can still make people laugh without being vulgar, without making fun of anyone, and without you know having to make anybody in the room feel uncomfortable about what came out of your mouth. That was the point for this week. Big thanks to Eric Selly. Big thanks to Etan Oya. When I find out who David and Nick are, I'll let you know. I should have followed up there. Next week on The Point, American singer Eric Allen. He's releasing his new album later this month. Talk to you then.